Hello and welcome to WCAD Chats. I'm Alex Carr, joined alongside by Palmer Ruth, and welcome to the 16th episode. And today we have a little bit of a retro uh, podcast. Just a couple of years ago, some WCA team members were able to sit down with Brandon Godden, and they were able to talk to him about what Skip Carey meant to him, obviously the legendary and late great commentator for the Cubs. And Brandon Godden coming this new year is taking over for Chip Carey as the play-by-play um, guy for the Atlanta Braves. So hopefully he can do a great job. And, you know, they talk all about him being the voice of Madden as well as his pathway to getting to being a pro commentator. So let's see what Brandon Godden has to say about his past and the future in commentating. Ah, hello and welcome to another episode of WTAT Chats. I'm your host, Riley O'Neill, joined today by Daniel Searle. And Daniel, we have ourselves a very, very special guest. The famous sportscaster Brandon Godden is joining us in the studio now. Brandon actually just shared some words of wisdom with our broadcast camp, The Little Ones. And Brandon, thank you for doing that and thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Very glad to be here back on the Westminster campus. Yeah, no, it's it's great to have you. And we'll try to do this maybe a little chronologically. We'll jump in, hone in on some different stuff like your Madden and calling some of the games for Fox. But one thing I wanted to jump in early was your early career with broadcasting, getting into it um, at your high school with baseball. And I read online that you actually wrote a letter to Skip Carey because you grew <laughs> up in Atlanta. Braves fan, and I wanted to ask if that was true and if he actually responded. Yeah, the, the good research, that is true. He did respond. So I grew up in southern Indiana, and as I was sharing with the kids, and you heard me say earlier today, you could only watch a couple of baseball games on TV back then. It's just so different from where it is now where every game is on television. And the Braves were on TBS every night. And in the 90s when I was a kid, they started to get really good. So I watched every game. I became a big Braves fan. And Skip Carey was the lead announcer, who's whose son Chip is now the Braves' lead announcer. And I just loved listening to him. And so my dad said, why don't you send a letter to the Atlanta Braves organization and address it to Skip Carey? And so I did that. I think I was 10 years old, so this would have been back in 1993. And I didn't know if the letter would even get to him, let alone if he would reply. But certainly enough, he did, and it was on official Atlanta Braves letterhead. And I'll never forget when that arrived in the mail. There's several kind of milestones from when I was a kid that kept reinforcing that this is what I want to do. And receiving that reply from Skip was certainly one of those things that was a cool moment that made me feel like, yeah, this is what I want to do with my life. Right, so that was a motivating factor for you. And yeah. Was there anything specific you remember that he might have said in the letter? Uh, he said several things. The The first one, the one that always sticks with me, that, that kind of broadcasters pass along to each other a lot, is to record yourself and go back and listen and critique yourself. And that was the first piece of advice he gave me in that letter. And that's just kind of a universal standard. It's a very simple piece of advice that announcers pass forward to others. But I don't think announcers do that enough. Now, I think announcers will watch other announcers and say, ooh, I like that and I don't like that. And that's good. But you also need to listen to your own work and figure out when you go back, when I go back and watch a game that I did or listen to a broadcast, I am surprised how many things I pick up on that I didn't during the game that I like or that I don't like about how I called it. So that was the first time that I had heard that. And and I used to sit with my recorder in front of the TV and I would broadcast the games after Skip told me that and I would go back and listen and critique it. Why do you think, Brandon, that it is hard for announcers to go back and listen? Yes, time, of course, but that's what we say here at WCAT all the time. You gotta go listen. No, I don't want to, it's awkward, I, I sound bad. How do you encourage them to make sure to do that? Yeah, and that's that's what it was for me. I hated the sound of my own voice. And it's always surprising to hear how many people in the industry feel that way because you, well, wait a minute, this is your voice is kind of your livelihood. You would think you would enjoy it. I hate it. Um, and, and there are often times where I say something like, ah, I didn't want to say it like that. Why did my voice sound like that? So I think the inability or the lack of desire for people, myself included, to go back and do it is because I don't know if you want to call it shame or embarrassment or not enjoying to listen to yourself, but that is something you have to get over. You have to fight through that awkwardness and become comfortable with that to really start to hone in on what you need to improve. You've already put yourself out there and put yourself on camera and sharing your voice. So that's a really good point. Yeah. And talk about not only reviewing your own work, but having other people review your work too and how that might benefit um, your announcing. Yep. And I did that when I started to get into college and 
disseminating reels online became a thing because when I was in high school, the internet was still new and you would never have uploaded your work or sent it around. But in college, that started to become a thing. So you would put your demo tape online and I went through and anywhere online that I could find an email address or a phone number for an announcer, I would write that down and I would send them my work. And I would always proposition it as, hey, look, like I'm, I'm 21, 22. I'm not asking you for a job. I am really just trying to get better at my craft. If you have a moment, if you would listen and give me feedback, I would greatly appreciate it. I think a lot of times people will send stuff to prospective employees or other announcers, and it comes off as, hey, I'm just trying to use you for a leg in or a foot in the right. door somewhere. And I really tried to be careful with how I worded when I reached out to these people to say, I'm not looking for that. Like, sure, if it would have happened and someone wanted to help with that, great. But I really just wanted to hear what they had to say about my work. And I got great feedback through the next five years of my career by sending my tape out. And I always encourage others to do that. And anytime I get a tape sent to me, I make time to listen to it because I know how important that was for me. And that's, I want to highlight that part right there. Jack Hunter, our WCAT zone announcer who's gone on to Washington and Lee, sent his reel to Brandon. And the email that came back with your feedback, your breakdown, your advice, your highlights was something spectacular. We've, we've shared it. We've talked about it and looked at it and said, how does he take this time? So the story of people giving you feedback over the years is indicative of why you're now right. giving back again as it cycles through. That's Again, thank you, Brandon. Yeah, it truly is pay it forward. I realized being in that position and what it was like and how nervous I was sending out emails to some people and how excited and appreciative I was when they responded. So I always try to take the time to do that. Certainly very detailed and thoughtful. And you mentioned college. You graduated from Butler with a degree in communications. When you get to Butler, what kind of opportunities presented themselves either off the air or on the air? It was a different time because it was, I mentioned the internet was kind of just coming of age when I got to Butler, but also just coming of age was internet radio. So we did not have webcasting when I was there. So all of my announcing was audio only. So it's different from what you guys have at Westminster, where you actually have video streaming to go along with your audio. And that's, that's a longer discussion, but it's almost two different kinds of broadcasting when you only have audio because the person at home, they're completely vulnerable to everything you're saying. Whereas if there's video, you don't need to say as much because they can see what's going on. So at Butler, the opportunities became more because of the internet audio stream. So we would broadcast broadcast Butler basketball and Butler baseball through the internet. And we also did have a TV station there. So there were opportunities to be an anchor, to be a host, and to actually take classes in those. So I, from day one on campus, my, my goal was I need to know these professors. I need to ask them at what stage I can get my hands on a camera uh, to produce, to direct, to do all of these things uh, to try to become more versatile. My goal at Butler was to become more versatile and then eventually as I got older, get on-air experience. And thankfully, because of the, uh, one reason was the size of Butler, there's only 4,000 kids. The other was that technology was becoming better. Uh, so we had more opportunities. So thankfully I was able to accomplish those goals. And doing radio for so long, do you remember doing your first video broadcast and how that kind of differed and how it was a different experience? Yeah, it, it was a webcast. So Turner Sports, um, they would dole out assignments to small production companies for small Division Two and Division Three championships when I was living in Indianapolis. This is after I had graduated from Butler was back living there. And it was 2009, I want to say, that I got my first opportunity to do an actual quote-unquote telecast. It was a webcast through the internet. And it was for Division Two men's golf, the Division Two men's golf championship uh, in Alabama. And I remember how hard it was for me to make that adjustment to not talk as much because I was only used to radio and describing every little thing to the listener. And I really, I remember talking to a lot of people about how to handle it when you have video there. And it, I got more comfortable as it went on. But if I go back and listen, I talked a ton at the beginning and then I realized it's okay. Like, let it breathe. They can see what's going on. Use four words instead of six. Use six words instead of eight. Uh, try to make it 
it so that you're adding to the moment and not just talking for the sake of talking. But yeah, I mean, that was, you think about it, that was only 12 years ago because I was trained on radio for the first 10 years of, of from high school all the way through college. Interesting. I didn't know you called golf. So are you, you still yeah. calling any? No, golf? I haven't done golf since. So I did the division two championships in 2009 through 11. And then once I switched and, and then came down to Atlanta, I didn't do those anymore. So I have yeah. not done golf then. And I'm a terrible golfer. So I don't know that I'm the one you want commentating. <laughs> well, you mentioned me and Daniel here with the little ones um, and Warren Letcher Hall that you actually are now transitioning and doing a little bit of baseball coming yep. up. So can you talk about how that opportunity presented itself and how much you're looking forward to it? Yeah. So my deal with Fox has always been for football and for basketball. And I had made it known to them last year that, hey, when baseball season comes around next year, if there are opportunities, I would like to, to be involved in that. And they were receptive of that. And so last year with the pandemic, everything was, it just changed. There, there was no opportunities for anybody. Um, but this year, they said, let's, let's make it happen. And so the, they're giving me a handful of games starting in July. And for 10-year-old Brandon, this is the realization of a dream. Uh, because baseball was the reason that I got into this business. It's sort of come full circle because I, I got out of baseball when I was 25, and I haven't really called a whole – I've called some, but I haven't called a whole lot of baseball since. I'm 37 now, so uh, I need to brush up here. I, I'm going to be doing a lot of homework, not only on Major League Baseball, but just kind of revisiting how I call baseball to make sure that I'm ready to do it at the level I'm going to be doing at. And at least for me as an announcer, I'm curious how the preparation might differ for a baseball game compared to, you know, football or basketball. Yeah, it's very different. Um, football is, is the most expansive sport to prepare for just because you have so many players. Uh, NFL is interestingly easier than college because NFL, there's a 53-man roster. These college rosters are usually right around 100 players. Now, you don't need to know the same amount for all 100 players. Your walk up, your backup walk-on kicker, you don't need to have but one note for. But it is a totally different animal preparing for football and all of those players than it is for basketball or baseball. I always describe it that football prep is a full-week prep. Mm -hmm. So if I have a game on a Saturday or a Sunday – when I start prepping on Monday, it is just like, you know, I'm not in an office, but I am waking up, I'm starting at eight o'clock and I am spending that day researching, talking to coaches, talking to players to get ready for the game. So whereas a basketball game, if you told me in three days, I was going to have Villanova versus Syracuse. If you give me a couple of days, I can get ready for that basketball game. I could get ready for the football game, but I wouldn't be prepared at the level that I want to. I think for every three basketball games, that probably equals one football game in preparation. And baseball is somewhere in the middle um, because you do have more players. But baseball also lends itself to more storytelling. There's more time to talk with the analysts. So you need to dig up more interesting nuggets as well. So, yeah, it, I would say football most preparation, then yeah. baseball, and then, and then basketball is probably the easiest to prepare for. I was going to ask in terms of storytelling, is football another sport that really that storytelling comes into play? It does, but to a lesser extent, because baseball you can talk more through pitches and through batters, especially in a 3 nothing game in the third inning as a TV announcer you don't need to say here's the 1-0 and he swung on and missed you do that sometimes mm -hmm. but if you and the analysts are going back on a story if you miss two or three pitches that's okay it's not a big deal now if the batter swings and hits a deep fly ball to left okay you need to switch your course and say oh look at this deep fly ball left field but you can go back and forth with storytelling football you have to be very cognizant of getting in and out because the next play for football, it demands more attention than it does every pitch with baseball. So you can carry your story through plays, but you have to not neglect doing the play-by-play -play as well and what's going on in the field. So it's kind of that, and he gets a three-yard gain there to the 27. So going back to what we were saying, Richard, right. you know, it's that type of a storytelling where you have to also remember to not neglect what's going on in the field. Yeah. On the topic of football, let's dive into Madden because I think that some – something people might know you for is is your Madden career starting in 2016 correct me if I'm wrong but yep. can you talk about Brandon how that opportunity presented itself and now where you are now with Madden are you familiar with LinkedIn I am okay yes. <laughs> so it's the strangest thing but yeah I was working at Georgia Tech I was getting ready to transition to Fox and move away from radio and be in the voice at Georgia Tech and do TV 
and uh, I get a, a Gmail notification that someone has sent me a message on LinkedIn. So I check LinkedIn, and it says it's from the director of talent at EA Sports. And it says, uh, introduced themselves and then said, we would like to talk to you about an opportunity here at Electronic Arts. And to be honest, I thought I was being punked. I, I was just thinking, why would EA reach out to me right now? But secondarily, why of all the ways would they do it via LinkedIn? It just, it just seemed like if they wanted to really get in touch with me, there was a better way to do it, to be honest with you. But I... I said, I'm guessing this is real. She has a real profile. It says she's worked at EA for 10 years. So I replied and said, happy to chat whenever. Here's my cell phone. And uh, she called a couple days later and said, so we have an opportunity, but before we discuss it with you, we need you to sign an NDA, which is a non-disclosure agreement, which is a, a pretty simple legal contract. And then I'm thinking, what, what, what in the world is going on here? But I knew that she was legitimately from EA and she was being serious. So yeah, okay, I'll sign your non-disclosure agreement. So I signed it, I faxed it back. And that's when they had the Madden team call me and explain to me that they were moving on from Jim Nance and Phil Sims as their announcers. And they were going to be doing a silent search for the next announcer pairing for the video game. And asked, they said that they had identified me as somebody who they liked my voice, they liked my style. And they wanted to bring me in as kind of a dark horse candidate amongst the other candidates they were they were bringing into audition. So I went into audition and I remember thinking the audition went very well. It felt good. It felt natural, but it was very different than calling an actual game. So I just said, you know, I know they're bringing in some bigger, more well-known names to do this. So I shouldn't get my hopes up, but it felt good when I left and they seemed to be well receiving what I was saying and how I auditioned. And sure enough, two months later, phone call came um, I've told the story many times that I was walking in to play basketball here in Atlanta. I was holding my tennis shoes. It was a beautiful evening. We usually play at Westminster, but we ask, were, yeah. unfortunately, you're not going to like this. We were playing at Lovett that oh, night. So I was walking into Lovett with, uh, but with a, with a lot of guys that went to Westminster, if that makes you feel any better. Um, and that's the, the number popped up 407, which is Orlando's area code. And I picked it up and that's when they said, do you want to, be the next voice of the video game, and I couldn't say yes fast enough. This might be part of, that's a great story, and the basketball part too, of course, but this may be part of the non-disclosure. What was that audition like? Are you watching the video game play out on screen and making the call? Are you reading a script? Uh, give us a little insight into, into the Madden audition. Yeah, so what I didn't know is what the important thing with a video game when you're recording it is to be able to record a lot of different lines that stitch and pair together. And we talked about this this morning with the kids when we were going through the lecture. Um, but so they wanted to make sure that I could record a lot of different lines with a brief pause in the middle that they could pair with any other number of lines so that I had voice consistency um, because apparently some people really struggle with, with changing their cadence. So it was a script, but it would say, and here's the handoff, and he'll take it up to the 32, brought down by Davis. It's a gain of seven, and it's third down and six. So all of those places where I stopped, they would have me stop intentionally and then they would go through and, and cut and paste all these lines that I said at different times to see if it matched together to made, make it sound like I was actually just recording one play. And for whatever reason, it came pretty naturally to me. And I remember them saying, you've never done this before. And I said, no. And they, they liked how I was able to stitch different pieces of audio together. That was the majority of the audition. And I'll never forget how they ended. They said, all right, make up a game-winning play in the Super Bowl and call it and get excited like you are doing the Super Bowl. And I sat there and I was like, oh gosh. And uh, I said, okay, I'm ready. And I just called a Brady to Gronkowski back when they were with the Patriots game-winning touchdown pass. Um, and that was, I just made it up on the spot. I called it and what you want to do as a play-by-play -play announcer when you're doing an actual game is you want to cap a big call and then just, that's it. And I, I remember that he threw it to Gronkowski. He caught it. Unbelievable. And the Patriots do it again. Super Bowl champs. And then I just, I cut out and I capped the call and I stopped and I said, I'm done. Um, and I just remember that they really liked the way that I, that I made that call and they liked the sound of it. So yeah, that was the audition. But you didn't know that was coming beforehand. No, that was that. I knew the script. They, they didn't tell me anything before I got there, but when I got there, they handed me, they wanted me to read the script cold. They wanted to know that I could pick up a script without much preparation. Cause that's how we record the game. Now I get the script. 
10 minutes prior to our session starting. So there's not a lot of time to go through it. They wanted to know that I could go through the script cold and make it sound natural. And then in the end, that was a total surprise. They're like, all right, call the game winning touchdown to the Super Bowl. I was like, are you serious? They're like, yeah, just, I said, what, who's playing? They're like, make it up, just do whatever you want. I was like, oh, all right, here we go. <laughs> so, and naturally, you know, the biggest story at the time was the Patriots and Brady. So I was like, well, let's go, let's go to the big star. Who would it be? It would be Brady to Gronkowski. And so that's what I did. Yeah. It's a big-time announcer now. How much time is Madden taking up? Are you recording on a monthly basis, a weekly basis, yearly? It varies throughout the year. We take a break. So next week is actually our final week recording for the 22 game that comes out in the fall. Then we take a six-week break, and we pick back up in August. So that's our downtime. But outside of that, it's pretty consistently two days a week throughout the rest of the months of the year. I used to travel to Orlando every week for it. Now, because of the pandemic, they've adjusted, and we record from our house. And so uh, I'll have two or three sessions a week from home for about three hours. Today, we only did 90 minutes. um, So it varies in length, but it's usually about a three hour session. So you're looking at about eight to 10 hours per week of actual recording. Are you and your color guy recording at the same time for Madden? It varies. So I have solo sessions because for play-by-play, he has no part in that. So I have solo sessions by myself where it's just me. Anytime that Charles, the analyst, is recording, I'm with him because they want us to banter back and forth on lines. So they want it to sound natural. So I'm always there when he records to tee him up or to tag. If he says, oh, what a great play by Johnson, I'll just step in and say, I remember last year, Charles, he had seven catches in this game for 100 yards. so that it, it kind of sounds natural like we're there together when in reality we're not. And in 2016, how much, if at all, was Madden maybe a career boost? Oh, gosh. I mean, it was. I, I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. It's a video game that I grew up playing. Um, it was something that was not even on my radar. I just, I, it's so different from calling a real game. You never even think as a play-by-play announcer that you'll be able to voice over a video game. So that was like the creme de la creme when that opportunity came. I, I, I could not have been more excited. And when they offered it to me, I just like... I stayed calm on the phone, but inside I'm just leaping for joy. (laughs) Like, are you kidding me? I'm going to get to do this. Now, I will say with the game has come a lot of scrutiny, and I expected that. Um, There's a lot of people that play the game, and people get very passionate about it. They get very angry when they lose. They get angry at certain lines that they hear in the commentary. So that's been a little bit of a tougher part is just kind of, realizing that when people yell at you on Twitter or uh, send you notes on Instagram, which happens a lot, that that just kind of comes with the territory and not to respond or to react or to get into an engagement because uh, it's just not worth it. <laughs> so is it a lot of older guys playing the game that are firing it's, at Yeah, it? it's it's all ages. You, you're, <laughs> you're, you're surprised uh, how many people in their 40s and 50s play the game in their basement quite often. So. I, really, I thought the cutoff would at least be maybe 14, 15 and then they'd stop <laughs> tweeting at you. I, but I, I honestly Honestly, it's cliche, but I realized that, look, these people are helping support what you're doing. Even if they're yelling at you, they're buying the game. They are fans of the game. And so realize that they are passionate about it for a reason, and that's okay. While their their way of yelling at you and going about it may not be the way that you would want them to handle it, I always try to remain calm and not get angry at them because that's just not going to be helpful. Right. Yeah. Right. And then calling play-by-play for Fox and doing these football games, that's really a pinnacle for a lot of announcers. When you were able to get that opportunity, what was that like? And can you describe that experience? Yeah, it was uh, the switch from radio to TV was something that I knew I wanted to do just because everything was going to the visual medium. And you guys are finding that here at Westminster with the web streaming. Even uh, pure radio calls without video is rare anymore. It still exists. The Braves are on the radio. The Falcons are on the radio. But everything is turning into a web streaming element with video involved. So seeing the trend in the business, I knew that I wanted to try to make that transition. So when I got the opportunity to really try that as a career, my first football game was, uh, and Searle will love this, was Northwestern. It was Northwestern Illinois State was the first game that they tried me on. And it was back in 2016. And I was stepping away from tech to try that. And I was excited because I knew that this is the path that my career needed to go if I was going to spend 30 more years in this industry. Um, So yeah, I was nervous. I was excited. I over talked that first game. I remember I go back and I watch 
I haven't done it in a long time, but the, where you come on camera in the open before the broadcast, you can just see how nervous I am. Like it, I, I wasn't smiling. I got through it okay, and I, I did fine, but it very much felt like the first time that I was on camera. Um, and so, yeah, I again, I, just like back when I was in high school, I would watch those tapes and see what I could do better and and gradually I've tried to get better. And I sure hope that when I'm sitting here, I'm 37, when I'm sitting here talking to you, if that happens at 47, that I can look back and say that I've made a lot of improvements over the last 10 years, because by no means am I done improving. I know I have a lot to improve on. You've made those improvements and you've made the moves up. So from Illinois State Northwestern, and yes, I do love listening to you on the <laughs> Northwestern calls, especially basketball. <laughs> Um, to NFL. Mm -hmm. How did that step happen? And what's the difference? That is national. That is big time. That is, as Riley was saying, the pinnacle. Yeah, that was three years ago. 2019 was my first NFL opportunity. And I had heard they had mentioned that they might want to try me on some NFL games. They felt like I had a style that fit well for that with Fox. And um, sure enough, summer of 2019, they said that they were going to use me on three games the next season. And I mentioned earlier that there's several moments in your career, the Madden call being one of them, uh, Skip Carey's letter receiving that, that was one of them. And that was another one to where when I got that email saying, all right, we're, we're giving you the go-ahead, we're trying you on these three NFL games, I thought, wow, this is really cool. This is something I've worked for that I wanted to do. And so now I do a mixture of both. Um, last year during the pandemic, I did five NFL games in the rest college. And this year will be a, a similar mix of being able to do both. And I love that because I love the pageantry of college and I love everything the college game is about. But doing the NFL, is it's the NFL. Right. It's just a really cool experience. Uh, what's tough is that, so Fox and CBS have five dedicated crews for the NFL. What that means is that those play, that play-by-play -play announcer, the color commentator, the sideline producer, director, everybody on the crew, they're together every week throughout the NFL season. I'm not doing that. I have a dedicated crew on the college side, and then when they need me on the NFL, I jump over. But I'm working with typically a new analyst, a new producer, a new director. And so that's what's difficult is bringing a crew together that is of mixed parts working together for the first time. As you can imagine, I mean, it's, it's very difficult. You don't know each other's cadences and nuances and what you like to do in certain situations. So that's the only difficult part, but I do love that mix of college and the NFL. And yeah, that, that NFL opportunity was, was very, very special to me. And, and those three games that you called for NFL, was that be kind of like a tryout? Were they trying you out? And then if you... You know, I, I honestly, it's a cliche, but I think that every game is kind of a tryout. I, I knew that if I did not do well in those, I would not get more opportunities. So yes, you could look at that as more of a tryout than everything else. But what's interesting about this business is there's so many people trying to do what you do that you need to really prepare your best and be ready and on your A game for every broadcast. Because if you, and, and you're not going to do as well in every broadcast as you did the one before, you're, you're going to have some ebbs and flows, but by and large, you need to realize that every show is an audition. Uh, it's like, I, I, I try to describe to people who have eight to five jobs, imagine that you are in the boardroom giving a presentation every day that you're at that job. That's what I feel like every time the camera goes on and you have a broadcast because you can't hide. You can't, I can... I can hide if I'm at an eight to five job and I took, I slacked off one day and I pick up the next when that, when the camera goes and the lights go on and that game starts, you can't hide anywhere. It's, it's your work is on display and everybody's watching. You can't hide and it's going to be there forever. Yes. Right. <laughs> Everybody can go right? back and find you and watch yeah. you and Ooh, he messed up. Yep. What is one of your, your mess ups? One of those moments you, uh, you up for sharing one of those, uh, bloopers oh yeah I mean I'm career. I'm sure I've got several I've got uh <laughs> I've got one from way back from broadcasting a women's basketball game where I, I shouldn't say what I said for the purposes of this broadcast but I made an awkward comment about a girl holding a basketball while she was shooting a free throw <laughs> and it's one of those things where you say it and you didn't mean anything bad right. by it but when you l hear it in your head, you're, you say, oh, no, like people listening heard that a much different way than I intended. And so I just apologized that I didn't mean it that way. And I moved on. And luckily, that was a game that not many people were watching. So it didn't end up being a big deal. But for the for the um, NFL, this is kind of a minor thing. But Oda, I was doing the Browns 
and Bengals, and it was two years ago. OBJ was with the Browns, and he caught a pass. He wanted to get to 1,000 yards on the season, and he was at 985, and he was having hamstring issues. But he had a bonus in his contract of 1,000 yards, and any receiver wants to get to 1,000 yards. And uh, Baker Mayfield threw him a pass, and he caught it. And I knew if he had uh, over 15 yards, I wanted to mention. he's And he did it again, OBJ, another 1,000-yard season. And for whatever reason, I got tongue-tied. And I didn't say anything bad. It was just not a good call. And so I just said, and Beckham's got it, and it's he's out of bounds. And he did it. Uh, he went over 1,000 yards for the season. It was just very staggered, and it was not a good call. And I remember in the moment beating myself up because I thought, you know, this isn't a huge moment in NFL history by any means, but NFL films and everybody, this call is going to live forever. And I thought, gosh, I just hate that that is going to be on record of Odell Beckham going over 1,000 yards again this year, and I screwed up the call because I'm the only one that called it. Um, But what I had to regather and realize is that I'm in the third quarter, and no, this isn't a huge game with playoff implications, but it's the third quarter of an NFL game, and I've got to put that behind me. Because if that, it's like when you're playing, if you let one missed shot turn into two, turn into 10, that's a bad thing. If you let one bad call turn into two, and you're down in the dumps, and your voice isn't there the rest of the game, it impacts everything. And so that's an example of something that sticks in my mind of a call that I just missed. I screwed it up, uh, and I was down. But I quickly, at the next time out, I kind of gave myself a little pep talk and uh, picked myself back up and moved on. And thankfully, the rest of the game was smooth and I didn't have any issues. On the flip side, Brandon, are there any calls you made that still stick with you? It's just, oh, wow, I really killed that. Um, I think a call that you know not many people would know is when I was doing the radio at Butler, my alma mater. And there was a game where they had Gonzaga there and Butler was ranked 13th and Gonzaga was ranked 8th in the country. And College Game Day was there for ESPN. So I wasn't doing the game for them. I was doing it as the voice of Butler. But for Butler fans and for people in the Midwest and the Indianapolis community, that game was iconic. Butler won on a last-second shot. And a guy stole the ball. They were down one, drove the length of the floor, put up a floater, and the shot went through right as the horn sounded. And Hinkle Fieldhouse, where Butler plays, is one of those all-time iconic venues. And that's, that's the loudest I've ever heard, Hinkle Fieldhouse. Wow. And it's just a, it's, a, it's an incredible feeling to be in there in a moment like that. And I... I felt like I called that extremely well, and that call was actually ended up being one of the reasons that the one of the Madden producers had heard that mm. call, and that was one thing that stuck with him when they reached out to me to do that several years later. So it also goes to show you, you never know who's listening, and you, trial, and yeah. you never know what that's going to lead to. What was the call? We may get our producers to go back and edit this in, but <laughs> yeah. give us a, Well, I mean, I think I, can, I think I can remember it pretty much verbatim, so... Uh, you remember John Stockton, the great point guard. His son was inbounding the ball for, yeah, at midcourt, and it's David Stockton. David Stockton's got the ball right now. Two point or three point one seconds left. Throws it up top. Jones intercepts it. Jones the other way. Two seconds. One puts up a floater. He got it. He got it. Roosevelt Jones at the buzzer, and Butler wins it, sixty-four to sixty-three. Unbelievable. And it is absolute bedlam at Hinkle Fieldhouse. And that, that was oh, it. And wow. they stormed the floor. So that was it. That's a great call. And then for those of you listening, what Brandon's face did, the way it lit up as he was redoing that call, was also something uh-huh. quite special right there. We could all feel it. That's radio for you at its finest. Is we, yeah. we were living it. We yeah. Were yeah. And, and whereas if I was doing TV, I would have hopefully said far fewer words than that. And I would have finish the call much quicker. But I wanted to cap it. I wanted to say that it's bedlam, that just to give people a sense of what's going on there. Yeah. You mentioned to us before, and that's obviously a really exciting moment. You mentioned to us before not trying to get too overexcited. How do you balance that when you've got, you know, this entire stadium getting super pumped yeah. up? Do you build off the fans and what they're doing, their emotion? How do you balance not putting too much excitement in the broadcast. Well, and also to your point, you don't want your voice to crack or to scream. You need to be so that people can understand the words that you're saying. I have several calls from early in my career on game winners or big plays late where I was screaming so loud that A, my voice was too high and cracking, and B, you had no idea what I was saying. 
And I, what I liked about that Butler call, and I know several people told me, they're like, you were excited at the right level, and we heard every word you said. That was almost a turning point for me, that, that call, because I realized from then on out how to measure my voice in an exciting way in a big moment. And so every time since then when a big moment happens, you need to be excited but don't scream and realize that it's not about you. Your job is to relay the information, make sure to get excited, but if you go over the top, you ruin the call. You, know? you said, and this may be a little too deep in the weeds for those who aren't interested in broadcasting per se, but you mentioned cadence. You mm-hmm. talked about the tone and mm-hmm. the rhythm of the voice there. How did you train that? And that, if that call was one of those turning points... What did you pull out of that? What can you tell aspiring broadcasters there on working on their voice? Yep. So some people actually take voice lessons. There are a few people that train announcers, especially at a high level. I know some of the guys like Joe Buck used to do voice lessons. I've never done voice lessons, but that Butler call in particular made me realize what I need to do in those big moments. I used to kind of sit on the edge of my chair and get very excited, and I would be so worried about talking right at the moment when the play happened that I was too almost nervous and and worried about what I was going to say that my voice would get naturally higher and it's like my my vocal cords would clench up a little bit what I learned to do through that and any moment going forward is to really kind of talk more out of the back of my throat rather than sitting up and being ready to scream and make sure that I talk as loud as I can. I want to talk as powerful as I can rather than as loud as I can. And there's a there's a subtle difference there in how you how you manage your throat. For me, it just took practice and in those big moments and then going back and listening to it because it's such a difference. I could, if, if I had all my, and you wouldn't want to hear them, but if I had all my calls from 2007 and eight, hearing me at the end of a game then versus now is night and day difference. It was training. It was really realizing to sit back and relax, even in the biggest of moments and breathe. Don't be as excited as the fans are, but yet when that moment comes, you still have to give off that excited vibe. Riley, I see you're brain spinning here as you listen to Brandon. What are some of the things that you just grabbed from what he's talking about for your own growth? Yeah, grabbed a lot. Well, it took me back to uh, Courtney Odd didn't have that buzzer beater. And then also, um, and that was one where I thought the excitement was there and, you know, the, obviously no crowd. So it was a little bit different, but... Double overtime. Double overtime buzzer, buzzer beater. beater. Excitement was there, but then I also went back to this Robert Clark, you know, fake punt, where it is the playoffs, but we're talking second quarter maybe getting a little bit too excited. You want to balance that because then when you get that excited, it's tough to top it when maybe there's a you know, winning touchdown in the fourth quarter. So mm-hmm. I feel like balancing that is definitely something that I want to bring in going into season two um, football this year. But it is, it is a really, I, I want to stress, I'm not saying don't be in the moment and don't get excited because you have to do that. But it is about recognizing your role. You are not a fan. Your job is to relay the information and to make this a big moment. And I think early on in my career, even whether I was announcing for a team or whether I was a third party announcer, I was just, I was too into it. I was too amped. My voice, my vocal cords would get too clamped and my voice pitch would go way too high. And I've just realized, calm down. Breathe. Yes, this is exciting. The fans are going crazy, and that's great. Your heart is naturally going to beat harder. Mine always beats faster. Um, but you have to stay within yourself in that moment. I've had that too. I've had two voice cracks that have completely ruined the call because yeah. even though it's a great call leading up to it, yeah, just it ruins it because it, you go back to and, and it's going to happen. It happens to the best of the best. Sean McDonough. Um, who is an iconic announcer now, who was on Monday Night Football, he had a call of a Michigan State's blocked punt of Michigan probably now seven years ago. Oh, yeah. And his voice cracked like a 12-year-old. And it, it just happened. And he, he talked about it recently, how much he hates hearing that call. My point is that it's going to happen to me again at some point. As much as I have gotten better at it and tried to control it, it's going to happen to me. Uh, but my goal is that it happens less and less and that I get better in those moments and realize. But sometimes the play catches you so off guard. He said that play just caught me so off guard. I thought they were going to punt and we were going to overtime. And all of a sudden, some kid sneaks off the edge, blocks the punt, picks it up, and they return for a touchdown. And you're caught so off guard that you're not 
not ready for it. And so what I really try to do, and I know that Sean does this too, he just messed up in that instance, is to be ready for anything. So that, yeah, you you can't predict that someone's going to block the punt, but know that any big thing could happen in any moment, especially late in a game. Uh, A mundane punt could turn into the game winner. So measure yourself and be ready for that so that all of a sudden your voice doesn't raise to a level you don't want it to. And on the topic of excitement, I'm interested to hear your opinion on, you know, the Hornets announcers because they're trending right now. They've had a lot of great calls. Some call it, though, unprofessional, and some call it awesome and that it enhances the game. So I'm Uh curious from the perspective of an actual announcer, a big-time announcer, your opinion on that. Yeah, again, when they're the Hornets announcers, I do think it's okay to get excited for them. What I struggle with on some local broadcasts, and maybe this is just my, it's how I was trained by others, but it's also my personal preference. Um, And I talked about it earlier with the bigger group. I don't like when announcers use we and us. Um, I know that a lot of former players who are color commentators tend to do that. It's just a natural thing because they did play for this team and they, they fall into that. We, us, Uh, if we, if we can score this basket here and get the stop on the other end, we got a really good chance. I just don't like that. I prefer now, if the Hawks can buckle down here and get this stop, you got to love their chances because there's only 30 seconds left. I just, I think that sounds better. I think the people watching, even if 90% of them are Hawks fans, I think the other 10% appreciate when you keep that neutrality. But I don't know what specific Hornets calls you're referring to. It's okay for them to get more excited because that is the team they're announcing for. I just think when you show that you're only prepped for one side and when you only say we and us for one side, I think that's where it becomes a slippery slope. Yeah, that's interesting. And Brandon, I'll take you back now for a second to the start of your career. You were talking to me and Daniel earlier about how you got going early with minor league baseball right out of college and low pay, you know, tough conditions, but now with Madden and calling play-by-play on Fox, I'm wondering if you ran into any challenges and how you learned to stay motivated on your end goal. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that first job that I mentioned earlier where I was making $500 a month and it was rookie baseball out in uh, just south of Salt Lake City in Orem, Utah. I mean, there were times where you're on you're on the bus and it's three in the morning and it's a 13 hour bus trip and you're going from Orem, Utah to Missoula, Montana, and you're not making any money and you just stopped at a Burger King and you got a Whopper and you're eating fries and you're sitting next to the huge pitcher who's pitching the next day and you're scrunched up against the window and you're, you can't sleep and you're like, is this really what I want to do with my life? Like, <laughs> my buddy just took a job in finance. He's making eighty thousand. He's twenty three years old. Is this really what I want to do with my life? But it was almost like every time that that I would be back at the ballpark or that microphone would flip on, that I would say, "Yeah, yeah, like mm-hmm. this is worth it." There are just like anybody else in any other job, there are moments where you question it and you do have doubts and you have to overcome things. Uh, but I always felt right when I was preparing and broadcasting for a game. Now, there have been points in my career where I have been disappointed, uh, to, to the point of your question. I was going, I remember when I was at the University of Evansville announcing games, I was 25. It's a Division I school in Indiana, but it's a small Division I school. And South Carolina announced that they were having an opening for their men's basketball and baseball radio announcer. And I thought, that's a great step for me. I'm I'm where I need to be for baseball and basketball to send in my demo tape, and I did, and I was one of the finalists, and I remember getting the call that I didn't get that job and how dejected I was. And you doubt yourself. You doubt your confidence. Why did they pick somebody else? Why, Why wasn't it me? I've had several of those points throughout my career, but... When I pick myself up the mat, up, up off the mat and keep going, I found that new opportunities continue to present themselves. And one of those was Georgia Tech. Yeah. And we can't wrap up this podcast without, without <laughs> talking about the jackets a little bit. You've got to have a couple of stories, a couple of calls, a couple of people, some names there from your time at Tech. What that meant for you in your career and then just the, the jackets in Atlanta. Yeah, and by the way, if I get that South Carolina job, I probably never get the Georgia mm-hmm. Tech job. And if I don't get the Georgia Tech job, you know, and you could say the other way, well, maybe if I get the South Carolina job, I get the Duke job, and now I'm working at CBS. Yeah, sure, but I don't know that. I know how things worked out, and I know that I'm pleased with where where, I, where they are. Um, when I got the job at Georgia Tech in 2013, I mentioned uh, earlier, I've got an aunt and uncle here in Atlanta and grew up a Braves fan. So when that Tech job opened, I thought, I love Atlanta. 
uh, this is this is big time football and basketball, and it felt like a good step for me. And the announcer at the time, Wes Durham, who still does the Falcons, I knew him a little bit. He's a guy that I'd reached out to that had listened to my tape. How and, about that? No, it's just, it all connects. Yep, it right? all connects. And you'd reached out years before. Yep. And yep. Durham is another legendary yep. name in broadcast. But because I had reached out, I had the comfort level to go back to him and say, not looking for you to get me the job. I'm just, do you mind if when I'm down there, I chat with you about the opportunity? He met with me for lunch. Uh, he put in a good word for me at Georgia Tech. I found out that I had a friend of a friend who was the athletic trainer at Georgia Tech. I worked that angle. So I was trying to figure out as many touch points as I could to get that opportunity because Atlanta, when I got down here, felt like home and it continues to feel like home. And that time at Tech was cool. I mean, the game that I remember most was Tech was actually having a bad football season in 2015 and they played Florida State, who was having a really good season. And the game was tied, and Florida State, Ricky Aguayo was coming out to kick a 55-yard field goal to win the game. And it was on a Thursday night. Bobby Dodd was full. You had downtown Atlanta there in the backdrop. It was one of those perfect nights. The skyline of Atlanta. Oh, one of the best. So special. One of the best. And the view from the booth is you can see that skyline. It was just a perfect night. And Aguayo went to kick it, and the kick got blocked. And sure enough, one of the kids picked up the kick, Lance Austin, and returned it 80 yards for a touchdown. Oh, wow. And that is, uh, I mentioned the Butler call earlier. For football, that's my favorite moment that I've been a part of uh, because it was unpredictable. Um, but I was able to stay within myself and, and relay what was going on on the field. Uh, and I was just, I had gotten to become such a big tech fan. And so they were having a big season to win that game against Florida State on a blocked kick return as time expired was, was incredible. And then Bobby Dodd went nuts. So it was, it was really cool. Yeah. Brandon, I got some rapid fire questions for you. Some quick answers, hopefully, and then we'll let Riley wrap it up. Okay. But conferences what's your favorite conference to call for basketball big 10 and i grew up in the midwest and i got family that went to indiana and purdue so i love the big 10 you're the guy who's seen the big east in and out how about yeah, that yeah. how about the best conference for football it is hard to beat the sec environments uh, now Big Ten is close with Ohio State, Michigan, Wisconsin, Nebraska. They have some great atmospheres, but I think every SEC stadium uh, across the board is probably the hardest to beat. Okay. You mentioned the Butler-Gonzaga hoops last-second buzzer beater, but was that the most exciting game you've called? I would say that's the most exciting finish. Um, I had a game in the NCAA tournament which was Michigan versus Houston in a 3-6 matchup where uh, Jordan Poole hit a game winner from 30 feet at the buzzer. That was in 2018, I believe. That back and forth in that game, and it, the fact that it was the NCAA tournament, it was always my dream growing up to broadcast the NCAA tournament. That was probably the best game. We failed to mention, though, Westwood won yep. and radio calls for the NCAA basketball tournament for March Madness. That's a special place for the Indiana mm -hmm. boys mm -hmm. to be for sure. Best pregame meal you've had. Where was it? <laughs> well, what what I, was it? well, here I'll, I'll say this. Best pregame meal is when you're the voice of a team and you get to eat with the team for the pregame meal. And I used to be able to do that at Butler and Georgia Tech. All of those meals were incredible because you get stuff for your broadcast. The food is always good. And it's just a very cool setting to be at the hotel with the team and kind of get that mm. behind the scenes look. That's a good call. Yeah. How about best press box kind of setup, angles? Is it Bobby Dodd, as you mentioned, uh -huh. or is it somewhere else? Best angle, Bobby Dodd, is uh, calling the game at that level. You're not too high. You're not too low. Where is it, Virginia Tech? You're too high. Bobby Dodd has the best angle for a football game I've ever seen. Best pregame meal spread was when I did the Falcons on Thanksgiving on radio three years ago, and they had a full Thanksgiving Day spread. It was phenomenal. At the Benz? Yes. Thanksgiving yeah. at the Benz. I love it. Okay. <laughs> How about a memorable or somebody that you synced up with well as far as a partner, as far as an analyst? Oh, gosh, there's several. Um, I would say Robbie Hummel, who played at Purdue and in the NBA for a little bit. I work a lot, I work a lot with him, and he's tremendous. And he and I have also become very good friends. We're around the same age. We have a lot of the same interests. He's actually getting ready to play in the Olympics for the U.S. for the three-on-three -three team. So he's training for that right now, and he's, he's uh, sent me some of the videos of what they're doing out in California for training for that. It's pretty cool, but he's so good. He's a rising star. He's a guy that in 10 years, he'll be doing the biggest game on ESPN. I have a pretty good feeling about that. 
How about that? Give us a Madden moment. Back to Madden. <laughs> Either somebody in the street or a tweet or an Instagram that you got or, or even when it was recorded. Madden moment. Here's a funny one. I was on a date a couple of weeks ago here in Atlanta, and uh, I don't really talk about what I do unless the other person asks. So the, the person that I was with had asked before we went on the date what I did, et cetera, et cetera. And we're on the date, and it's towards the end, and she said, I, I have to say something. And I said, what? And she said, my brother plays Madden all the time, and I couldn't figure out where I knew you from, but I hear you all the time in my living room, and it drives me crazy. <laughs> um, so that, that was, but she said, my brother wants me to take a picture so that he knows that I was actually here with you. Now, that doesn't happen much, and I'm not a celebrity, but that was kind of a, a funny moment, yeah. Voice is probably at a lot of people's heads. <laughs> and to wrap up the kind of rapid fire here, catchphrase, what's your kind of go-to that you like to use? Yeah, that's something I'm still developing that I don't want to force. People kind of, that comes naturally to them in their career. I don't have one. When I was in college, I'll tell this story, I won a competition that CBS put on my junior year at Butler. And it got me a trip to the national championship game. It was an announcer contest. And I was on at halftime with Greg Gumbel of the final four that year in the championship between Illinois and North Carolina. And the call that I used to win that contest was after the play happened in the final shot, I, I was out of breath and I just naturally said, somebody get me an oxygen tank. <laughs> and... Greg Gumbel was the one who went through the 10 finalist clips and he said that's what he loved about my call. Along, He said, I loved your voice and I love that you had personality and said somebody get me an oxygen. I've never used it again, but that, that, yeah. And you weren't kidding though. You needed yeah, it. like I was out of breath. I was like, somebody get me an oxygen take. And that's how I ended the call. So, yeah. So cool, Brandon. Such a funny story about the Madden story. I'm going to tell my <laughs> little brother, he only knows he's the Madden man. If I said I did a podcast with Brandon Godden, I'm not sure he would you know, put two and two together. But if I said I was with the Madden man today, I'm sure he would. But again, thank you so much. Absolutely. For it's always a blast to be here. I'm glad to do it and excited to watch you and your career in the upcoming year. So best of luck to you, thank too. You. I really appreciate that. And thank you for joining us, Daniel. Big piece of advice that you need to take away from Brandon Godden. Get your LinkedIn profile yeah. today, right? <laughs> yes. And that's no joke. I don't yeah. even have one yep. um, that is created, but that's how you ended up with the Madden gig. I know yep. that we've got some of our favorite teachers at Westminster have been connected through LinkedIn. So yep. that's good advice right there for <laughs> career, for life. LinkedIn is it, right? Now Absolutely. Now promo. <laughs> Absolutely. Maybe we get some sponsorship. There you All go. Riley, Brandon, take it away. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you. Thank you so much, Brandon, for taking your time and sitting down with some of the WCAT members. I know they thoroughly enjoyed that meeting and also learned a lot from you. Yep, can't wait to hear you on every Braves game for the upcoming season, so thank you and good luck. And now that's all from us here at WCAT Chats. Thank you guys so much for, for watching, and as always, go Cats.